0: The Tough Love and Second Chances podcast is written and produced by Tony Bennett on behalf of Edgar and reveals remarkable stories of those who refuse to be defined by their disability. The power of the human spirit shines through with examples of how hope, courage and the opportunity to express oneself through the game of golf makes for a combination that can improve and even save lives.
1: My conversation with Josh Jones was recorded at the media centre at the recent Emirates Australian Open, which was held at the Australian club in Sydney. Josh and I got together for the presentation of the award for being the leading stable for player in the world ranking for golfers with disability. To lead the ranking is quite a special achievement for anyone, but to do so after only three years of playing golf, the game he took up, in part to relieve the anger that he felt after losing a friend and his left arm in a workplace accident, is quite something else. I found Josh a pleasure to be with, friendly, enthusiastic, grateful. Grateful to be the winner of this award, yes, but grateful to have found a game that he can be fully engrossed in after some very dark days. Please enjoy my conversation with Josh Jones. So I'm here with Josh Jones. That's a good old Welsh name, there, Josh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. What,
0: you're, you're nice. originally from there. Yep, born and bred in Wales. Yeah, Bangor.
1: And so, how did you get out to be at the Australian? Because I've met you today at the Australian Golf Club, where they're playing the Emirates Australian yep. Open to present you with a prize. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. That's a bit, of a bit of a journey from Bangor in Wales to get to the Australian yeah, down here in Sydney. Yeah,
0: that's right. So I'm, my mum's originally from New Zealand. So when I was young, we um, spent about five years there from the age of about two and a half to seven and a half. Then back to Wales for 10 years and then eventually back out here. So that last trip back to Wales was when we stopped in Australia just for a little holiday on the way home and fell in love with it and we said, right, well, move back here one day. And Ten years later, we were back here. So that's pretty much the short version of the of the route to get back here.
1: And whereabouts are you in Australia? I'm in Brisbane. You're in Brisbane. Okay. And uh, what about family? You got family there? Or yeah,
0: they're up in Noosa on the Sunshine Coast. They're also Coast there, there well. Yeah, and my brother is uh, a bit further in Gladstone. So yeah, we're all out here now. It took him a few years to um, see sense and, and move <laughs> out after we left. He um, yeah, he took a few years to follow us.
1: My only time that I went to, to Brisbane was uh, I noticed there was a place called Southport near to Brisbane. Yep. And I'm from Southport, so, so when I went to speak in Brisbane, I thought I've got to go and see Southport. <laughs> and the only similarity between Brisbane in Sa- uh, Southport in Brisbane and Southport in Lancashire is they've got sea. That's about it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a seaside town. That's yep. it. Yeah, that's right. So, tell me you you. The, the reason I mentioned about the prize is that you won the World Ranking for Golfers with disability, stable Stableford Division, and uh, congratulations for that, Thank and you. that's a, a significant achievement, because
0: you haven't been playing golf very long. No, so yeah, I'm probably into my third, well, just just hit three-year mark, just over, um, playing golf um, before the accident, before the disability. There was I'd never played around with golf before, had a couple of hacks at the, the driving range, yeah, so it's this has been the main focus.
1: So there's got to be a reason why. I mean, you you didn't play before, and then you have an accident, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. But all of a sudden, you start to play golf. So that doesn't seem quite. That's that's not the normal routine <laughs> No, no
0: you, you're exactly right. There. It's um, yeah, it just sort of happened by not really chance, but more so just the right timing, I suppose, from during the the recovery in the early days of recovery from the accident. My brother came home with a set of clubs and. Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't doing anything else, I was just, yeah, sitting at home, counting my days and thought, I'll go, yeah, I'll come and, yeah, pretty angry at the time, trying to just accept the fact of what had happened and thought this is a great opportunity to try and unleash some of that anger and uh, I, I wasn't ex- expecting it to, to turn out to be this, I purely thought I was just going to go down to the driving range and, and beat the shit out of a little white ball, put it, to put it bluntly, I thought that's what it was going to, yeah, come down to and, uh the first time hitting the ball and actually hitting it properly was like, yeah, a surreal feeling, and I uh, just got hooked on that.
1: what was that feeling? What was that sensation?
0: It just completely made me forget about the, even though I knew I was still playing one-handed, and there was a reason I was one-handed, but it just completely took me away from the accident and that side of things. It was just me and golf, nothing else, yeah.
1: Tell me about the accident. Tell me what happened.
0: Yeah. So I, I, uh I was a Apprentice diesel fitter in the mines, so I was in the last stage of completing my trade, and then um, yeah, working night shift with uh, one of my friends, and we'd been given the task of changing the tyres on one of the trucks. They're pretty big tyres, aren't they? They are, yeah. So they're yeah, probably close to ten foot tall on the bigger trucks. Yeah, so bigger again. Um, weigh anywhere between four and six to eight ton potentially. Once to, in a full assembly, so yeah, they're yeah. quite large the units that we're dealing with. And, uh, yeah, there, so there was a fault in the in the rim, I believe, after their investigations, they found a fault in the rim. That um, caused it to fail and release the pressure, really. So, yeah, it was It's as close to describe as what I imagine a grenade going off, the amount of air pressure that's in them, um, the volume of it, and, and that's what does the damage, really, it's just that releasing sudden air pressure. And, uh, yeah, uh, my friend was killed instantly, and I was, uh, yeah, blown back about 35 foot, they told me, and... Uh, copped most of it through the arm. Something must have hit. We're not too sure, really. And, um yeah, just lying on the floor, looking at the arm in an absolute mess, sort of going, oh, crap, this is... Yeah, not a good... You were conscious? Predicament. Yeah, I was still conscious throughout the whole thing, really. Yeah, which I'm not too sure if it was good or bad, really, the fact I can remember it all or... Yeah, it, yeah, sort of hinders some of the... yeah like you said the phases so yeah, the other phases the nightmares and flashbacks side of things so that's where the consciousness comes into play. you told
1: me off tape that you were your hard hat was found
0: yeah a long way away they um like i remember getting questioned why i wasn't um, wearing um safety glasses and a hard hat they believed i wasn't wearing it because i wasn't found with them at the time and then a few days later they said i oh, was located your hard hat," and it was from memory trying to picture where they said they'd found it would have been at least 100 meters or more wow. from from where the accident happened, yeah it was phenomenal and my shirt, got, um, work shirt got blown off and pants and everything it was just yeah ruined that's yeah how much pressure was there just to instantly do that.
1: So- What's going through your mind? Because, uh, as you mentioned, you can remember everything. Yeah. And that's yeah. relatively unusual, I guess. Yeah. When you have such a major trauma that you remember everything. So, what, what's going through your mind? I you said, oh, shit, I'll, you know, I'll have a
0: look at my arm. Yeah. But yeah. What else was going through your mind at that moment? Yep. So, I remember trying to get up. Um, so, I knew, I'd, I, I think in my head, I probably knew that my friend were dead, but it wasn't guaranteed. So, I remember just trying to move to go and see him, really and i just physically couldn't move I, yeah i could move my head a little bit but that was about it just look down towards my feet look look over to my arm and that's when i started to about to panic and start trying to call out for help and I remember seeing my supervisor run over and i just remember the sheer look on his face when he what he's covering around the corner and seeing that and that's something that's yeah, i'll never forget the look on his face and just sort of i remember shouting to him, I mean, emergency, put the emergency call out, um, yeah, it was quite surreal, and then, but then I also straight away kind of, well, not straight away, I sort of had to then go, hang on, if I start panicking a bit more, I'm probably going to be in an even worse position, because I can tell, yeah, I was losing a lot of blood, um, Yeah. so I don't know how I did it, but I just sort of, just sort of, kind of, not accepted it, but just had to almost go into, like, a meditation so i state and just try and keep calm, because the pain was... It, it's only the the pain was worse in my shoulder, dislocated shoulder. I couldn't really feel the pain of the actual arm, being ma- like being mangled. It was yeah. I remember asking when people eventually came so to try and put something under my shoulder. That was all that I mean. thing. But at the same time, I just had to sit there and, and relax. So it was about twenty five minutes before the the ambulance and the pain, and the pain medication came, um, pain relief. So I had to try and control everything in that yep. time. Yeah.
1: So then you get taken on the, on the, with the uh, the medics. Yep. Taken to hospital?
0: To a, a local hospital. So we we're in a town, which is a very small population. They had to fly an emergency doctor in. Um, he got there and he couldn't do anything. They just said, we just got to stabilise you and get you to a proper hospital. So it happened about 4.30 in the morning. I got to hospital, uh, the proper hospital. I got the surgery by about midday. So it was a fair bit of time between. Uh, and um, that contributed towards uh, the, the in- injuries being worse, the, the muscles lost... The blood supply for that long so the muscles right. died so i had to get my bicep uh, removed and, uh, yeah and, uh, so yeah more extensive injuries from that time
1: so you eventually ended up with an amputation yep and so, as you just mentioned you had the, the muscle taken out of your bicep yep. so did you have decision making in that, that yeah, process? So
0: I, I had nothing in terms of the the bicep side of things and everything else they they got me back there um and just Put everything back together, so to speak, um, to give me the option. I remember them telling me that one of the main doctors wanted to actually just amputate it um, above elbow straight away. That was where the, the last compound fracture was because it was split open from my shoulder to the middle of my hand. which just split open down the middle and all the bones were snapped in half, and that's where they wanted to just amputate straight away. So they, arg- they they said, well, let's give him the opportunity to make the decision for himself. So they pinned it all back together and just put a put a wound care over it too. because it was about a, the arm had swollen up so much. It was about a twenty centimetre um, ga- uh, gash if right the middle. Um, so then, uh, after about twelve days in intensive care, I was finally well enough to get out, and that's when I started to actually realise what was going on a bit more under that much sedation and in intensive care. I remember things, but then I would forget, and so I could never make a decision about what to do. So the accident happened on the fifteenth, the sixteenth of Feb, two thousand fifteen, and I had the amputation on the sixth of March. So it's yeah, almost three weeks later when I actually and eventually had the amputation, and that was because they said you could try and save your arm, but it'll be it won't work. So the amputation is
1: actually below your elbow.
0: Yeah, so it's below, and there's been a few stages after the initial amputation. because it was few, it was stuck straight really, so then I had a surgery where they took the tricep um, tendon and actually attached it. So that's why it's as you see now it's fixed in a sort of ninety degree position. So the tricep just to get a bit more function for holding things. Um, so that was early, eighteen months later once it healed up enough, we looked at the next stage just to get yeah as much function as I could. Uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's,
1: I guess that's quite a big deal be- between. Uh, an amputation above the elbow and an amputation below.
0: Yeah, definitely. When it comes to prosthetics and just functionality day-to-day, pretty much they say the the more stump you can keep, the better generally. I have encountered and still encounter a fair bit of issues with it now, so it's not too comfortable, get a lot of pain. Um, So there's potential that it will actually get amputated above elbow, actually down the track, just because there's a few options we can look at that should hopefully give me some relief. But um, at the same time it's so useful having it below elbow. So yeah, it's not an easy decision, so it's gonna take the time and work out. But um, I'm hoping fingers crossed it doesn't interfere with my golf game in terms of if I get worse, lose a bit more and get a bit more off balance. <laughs> lose a bit more weight. But yeah.
1: You talked you talked to me again off tape. You talked to me about some phases me had to go through. Um, Can you kind of fill me in on on what those phases were for you?
0: Yeah, certainly. So the first one I remember was pretty much actually almost just actually surprisingly joyful throughout hospital most of the time. um, First couple of weeks and months after hospital, just almost, I put it down, probably just happy to be alive really because, you know, the, the main part was just being sad about my friend. I didn't really care too much about the fact of losing the arm initially. Then sort of once everything settled down, that's when I started to realise that uh, how things can change. The mindset—I've always been a very positive person. Um, could never really get a, you know a down day. Never. the the thought the word depressed it was nothing I thought I'd never ever have to experience in my life. And that soon changed after that. And that's when I started to realise that yeah, needed to get help and to try and combat and, and figure out how to cope with those. And um, short with, with the depression came the anger. I was just really angry about the, what happened, really. And that was at the time when I picked up the golf. And then it sort of just comes in waves, really. you know, It can change day to day. That's the really tricky thing to, with the mental health side of it. It's so unpredictable. You might think, oh, I remember thinking many times, oh, I'm, I've overcome it within the first six months. Oh, fine again. Then the next week, hit this big hole and... What the hell's going on? Yeah, this is horrendous. And (laughs) so, eventually, learned that I couldn't take it off face value on that side. Just had to accept it as it comes, really, and just get comfortable with what I've said. Is just get comfortable feeling uncomfortable mindset and not panic when that happens. And you got strategies for that, I guess. I
1: assume because we've spoken to many people about this. Is that there's some sort of early warning signals. Yep. Early warning signs. Definitely. And, uh, and then the strategies, if you have no strategies, yep. you can kind of kick in yep.
0: straight away. 100% can generally pick up. You know, that you might have a slight few little things that might be irritating you or something like that and go right I'm due for a, you know, a bit of a down day or something. And luckily the guys I work for, they're really understanding that, yeah, if I have a really bad day, it's, it's no hassle to fall in. you know, So yeah yeah be in today or something so that really helps is that having that environment where you can do that and not feel like you have to go and perform and go to work and and put on a put on a face so to speak if you can just give yourself that day off and go i need this day to and that was a big thing um i never used to like doing that i used to feel guilty before the accident about having a a day off sick Always hated that thing, so uh, that was another learning curve of just accepting the fact that it is what it is, and have to be comfortable taking asking for those things and taking the time to do nothing, um, and not feeling guilty for doing nothing. I remember trying to get back into work, not a job so to speak, but just the work uh, the cycle, and um, it very early on, and yeah, it wasn't very good. It it, it actually turned um, all the emotions on. It, even more so just felt really bad so that was where the golf came in it filled in that void for that time where i wasn't working i had something to focus on so.
1: one of the things that w- that we hear quite a lot is that and especially it seems to be for amputees that have had some kind of trauma is that when when the person's in hospital when they're in care then it's kind of like everybody's there, the whole family's there, the friends are there. They're visiting every night in the hospital, the whole deal. And then many times we hear that it's when you get home, yeah, because life gets back to normal. So the wife goes to work, the kids are going to school, or you know, and and everybody goes, oh, it's okay now because he's out of hospital. It's yeah. you know, it's okay. Yep. Did you have anything yep. with, about that? that
0: to experience? Definitely, yeah. And it's um, probably the first time I've actually anyone's actually mentioned something like that because yeah, so it's quite. Um, it's quite refreshing to hear that. Yeah, other people have experienced the same because yeah, Mum took the whole the whole time I was in hospital, which was I think just shy of two months or seven and a half weeks, or something. She was there every day. She the work were great. They um, her work were great, and my work. They put her up in the hotel next door to the hospital, and she was there day in day out. And that was I yeah probably a big part of how I coped in the hospital. And then friends were there all the time. The rest of the family, wife was coming up at the time when we were just that partners, boyfriend, girlfriend, and uh, she's spent the first couple of weeks up, and then she had to come back to Sydney for work, and i just fly up on the weekends, and then, yeah, exactly that, I got home, mum still had the first, I can't remember timing, but she was home for a fair bit longer, uh, mainly, I uh, needed uh, wound care, uh, dressing change every day, and I just couldn't do it but, um, myself. Then eventually, I remember the, the very first time where I was fully alone. It probably would have been three months, four months after the actual accident. And it was the first time where I, I was fully on my own. No one was at home. No one was coming to visit that day. And leading up to that point, I'm like, no, you go to work tomorrow. I'm fine now. And, I, yeah, I don't know what happened. But, yeah, it broke down that day big time. Yeah, just out of nowhere. Um, hit like yeah, It came as a big surprise.
1: So then you said that golf kind of fills some of the void. And so you've had those first few swings down the driving range, you beat the crap out of the ball, yeah. <laughs> and you've got that sensation, you feel like you want to do this. Yep. Now you play what we call forehand. So you're, you use your right arm to play right handed golf, but you play in a forehand, forehand position. Yep. A little bit unusual, yep. uh, because there is golfers that play that way, for sure, and there's plenty that play backhand, plenty that play forehand. Uh, but you started that way. Yep. Any reason why? Did you take any just cause,
0: advice? Or just because I had access to Ryan handed clubs. Okay. Yeah, right. and I just knew that that was the way, the stance that I would have had well, the, the few times I'd gone to the driving range before. Right. Um, so I don't think I could, in my head I could grasp the concept of playing the other way, playing left-handed, so to speak. Uh, and initially I wasn't. I had no idea that I would have taken it up so much. So maybe if I knew I was going to do it more, then potentially it could have changed.
1: I well, it's good plays both lead. ways.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, There's benefits in, uh, yeah. both ways. And yeah, you can see benefits of both. I know some that play everything except putting backhand. So then they putt forehand and vice versa. So it's, um, but that was the main reason just because I had access to right handed clubs.
1: So you've really not been playing very long. you. you... You really started what, 2016, 2016? Really? Like, yeah. yeah, that
0: was when I. St- the, the first ever round of golf was um, yeah the Queensland Amputee um, group. I, I don't know how I stumbled across them, but found them on Facebook, I believe, and they were having a charity day. I think it was January or February of 2016. Okay, I was a bit nervous about going to it, really. And still, yeah, I wasn't back at work, so I still was learning to get a bit more socially, um, you know, socializing still. And yeah, went along to the game and um, I think I was the youngest amputee by about 20 or 30 years that day yeah so they were loving the fact that oh great we've got a younger guy that's in and, and yes yeah, so that was the first ever time playing so, yeah.
1: different community different kind of feel to the community to go to a, a group of disabled people
0: yeah yeah definitely I um I didn't really think that I wanted to sort of worry too much about the disability and the amputee and, and then do everything that is revolving around amputees and this and that disability. But um, this is one that I'm very happy that I I found this group because um, yeah, when we're out there, we're not uh, not a bunch of disabled people out playing golf. We're just a bunch of people taking the mick out of each other on the golf course and having yeah. fun and yeah, love loving the game. And so it's yeah, it's really comforting.
1: It's, really inter- it's a really interesting community because, again, we have lots of players that were a little bit nervous about going, because clearly a few weeks before, a few months before, or maybe a year or two before, they would be playing, shall we say, regular golf, for want of a better description, and then all of a sudden they get involved in a group of people which are labelled disabled, and sometimes people will lie a little bit standoffish from that, you don't want to get involved in that and then when you go there it's like all of a sudden it's well, yeah but this is kind of this is fine because now i can learn so much and we've heard that this week from the players that play here this week that they learn so much from each other definitely because they've kind of had a you know maybe if they have a prestigious and you know they get a sore on the prosthesis and then one of the other guys say well, yeah, i've had that before and this is how i deal yeah, with it and it was kind of a community of, 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 of practice yep, so to
0: speak. like a, a support group as well for just day-to-day stuff let alone like the golf as well yeah. Definitely. So you're 19 handicap? Yep.
1: Anybody been helping you with your golf? Did you have any coach here? Yeah.
0: So um, I haven't seen him for a while. I've actually been meaning to get back up there. But Darren Weatherall I've been, um, so he plays out of, well, coaches out of Victoria Park in Brisbane. So that was where it really started to turn, started to engage with the, with the coach. Uh, I think it took a little bit of time for us to actually gel. Um, I'm, I think I might have been his first one handed um, student, so to speak. So after the first few months of him learning how I play and and me learning how he coaches and everything, it, it took off from there because so I couldn't play to 36 when I started. Um, yeah, I would have needed a women's handicap to, to get around uh, the course. And uh, from there, that's when this, the, the game's really changed. And he, he helped me to understand um, what a golf swing should feel like and, and should be. So we
1: just awarded you the, the trophy for leading stable for playing. When you found out about the World Ranking, did that mean anything to you?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's um, Well, initially, uh, so, I right, because we, we've always talked and joked about oh, who's, who's the best, like, you know, it would be good to be the best one, and go, oh, this and that. And so then it actually provides that platform for that. So that was the first part that was um, really exciting, just to be able to compare yourself. It's always nice. Everyone wants to know where they sit in those things. And then now with tournaments like yeah, the all abilities championship that's on, where there's an incentive to finish at a certain position to to qualify for these rounds, which just is, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's just really exciting. Actually, it just gives me something to focus on instead of just going to play golf for the sake of playing golf. There's a more purpose now to uh, to play it to actually get to a certain point. And um, and yeah, it's a dream now to get on a field with with these guys here.
1: Well, you got Stephen Pryor here who's playing this week. Yeah, league. he's also I, an, he's yeah. an arm amputee. Yep. And Stephen played in this last year, and he's playing, obviously, again this
0: year, and done yeah. very well, I think, next, today. Yeah, he's been phenom- yeah. very I've well today. I've been fortunate enough to play with him a few times in our AMC tournaments, that we hold. And, yeah, top bloke and phenomenal golfer. So it's would he
1: just, be an inspiration for you?
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. And another one, he's not here now, but Tony Coates. Yeah. Uh, Tony's going to play next week. He's playing next week, so that's just great. He's a, he plays backhand, and that's yep. I've actually, uh, only after seeing Tony play, I've sat I, Bought myself my first left-handed wedge the other day. Right. And it been chipping around just to try and, yeah, see how it feels. And yeah, with that short side stuff, I can definitely see, uh, potential there. So yeah, it's those lads there. There's a few other one-up blokes that are, um, that I started with at Queensland MT Golf. Um, Graham Cox, he's up there, see, and, uh, he's, um, he's getting, he's older now. He's, so he's struggling to play, but, uh, in terms of a uh, driver to help carry on playing they're definitely involved with that so it's very aspiring
1: i've got a question i like to ask everybody which is what advice would you want to give to somebody who found themselves in a similar situation to yourself they look down and all of a sudden they see i've been
0: in an accident here and this is serious what advice would you want to give them probably mainly it would be depending on what type of person they are but be yeah don't be afraid to ask for help. That's probably the biggest thing. I know I was embarrassed to do certain things, like tie my shoelaces initially, asking for something to tie my shoelaces or did cut up a steak for me in a restaurant. Small things like that, but just to accept the fact that you need to ask for help for certain things. And, um, but then also, yeah, accept the fact of asking for help, but then also uh, try to just get comfortable with with it. Just give yourself the time to accept what's happened and yeah, don't um, jump to conclusions with things, really. Just take the time to... Analyze things and, yeah, don't do anything drastic, really. It's yeah, it's, it's unfortunate to hear of how many people do the drastic things when they experience difficult situations. And, um yeah, so that, that would be one thing is, yeah, just take the time to, you know, there's the saying, it's sort of, you know, you, you feel like you're in hell now. Well, you may as well keep pushing through because you're already in hell. It's only going to get better from there. Um, It's no point doing something silly in that moment because, um, you know, yeah, it's yeah it's not going to last forever that's probably the biggest thing
1: It's been fascinating chatting to you yeah? it's, it's been a real pleasure to meet you
0: uh,
1: i hope that you you're going to get back on the plane we can hear the planes going overhead <laughs> so we're not that far away from the airport but i guess that you'll be going back to Brisbane i guess you'll be dusting those clubs off and
0: yep and make room on the or i'll have to make a trophy shelf uh, put that lovely trophy on it there and uh, yeah straight to the golf course i like actually Excellent. it's very inspiring seeing these lads Thanks very much, Josh. Really appreciate that. It was perfect. This was an Edgar Player Story supported by Ping, helping golfers to play their best. For more information about Edgar, please visit edgargolf.com. Stay tuned for the next Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. Ping! Play your best!